You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Keith Campbell writes, it's easy to indulge in feelings of disappointment with respect to the 2023 campaign or worry about the viability of the 2014 but the repurpose in of money and major assets as bait to acquire top prospects proves once again how awesome Steve Cohen is. Not only does he pour resources into the team in unprecedented fashion, but he learns quickly and never stays married to a failed strategy. He won't throw bad money after good or pretend the team is anything but an aging, mediocre, ultra-expensive non-contender. He also understands that a loaded farm system is 10 times more important than anything else. Even perennial contenders who spend big money like the Dodgers understand this. The goal isn't one lucky run with bloated paper in the thin 88-game winner. The goal is sustainable juggernaut. Making the playoffs every year, winning 100-plus in four or five years, producing tons of elite MLB talent, plus supplementary free agents, plus prospects to trade while still having a sack system. That's the goal. These moves bring us much closer. Listen, yes. What I am saying is you can have both feelings. Everything Keith said is right. I admit these moves are smart long-term. These moves prove that Steve Cohen is willing to spend on anything, even if it's a prospect that very few of us have heard of prior to the Mets trading for them. You're right. But I do think it's okay to also have the emotion of disappointment that competing next year is going to be very, very difficult. And what they do during the offseason is a major question. I, I mean, the one positive is we're going to have some very interesting offseason Ricos. I'll tell you that. <laughs> we're going to have a lot of them. We're going to have a lot of uh, Tim LeCastro might be the fourth outfielder. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> John writes, after the deadline, I'm happy with the prospects the Mets got back in a lot of these trades. The thing I take issue with is why aren't they giving any of the prospects a chance to show us what they got? Like, how are guys like Rafael Ortega and Daniel Vogelback taking roster spots over guys like Ma Ronnie Mauricio? Is this a Mets or an organizational thing? Is it a Buck Showalter thing? It reminds me of his last year in Baltimore when they were starting guys like Pedro Alvarez, Colby Rasmus, and Craig Gentry. Appreciate the show. I'll continue to watch every game regardless of all of this. Yeah, that is the next step. You can't rush players. So I get that Acuna may not be ready. I get that. Uh, I get that you're not going to take guys who are years away and just throw them in the major leagues because we all, quote, want to see what they got. Drew Gilbert is not walking through that door. But the guy we look at, I'll give you two guys. The two guys I would say, you know what, let me take a look is Ronnie Mauricio and even, um, oh my God, uh, Mike Vassell. Mike Vassell's the other guy. 
He hasn't been great at AAA. He's made a couple of starts. They're like, why not? Why not give him a couple of major league starts? I, I don't necessarily think it hurts you. I don't think it hurts you. David Ramos, right. And especially, ahead, and, yeah. quick, and, and especially now, too, because the season is over. There's no pressure. It's not like you have to come up and save the season. Season is done. You got two months. Have some fun. Yep. Uh, Ethan Chow goes the other way. I'm so finished with this team. Billy and Epler and Steve Cohen said they are rebuilding, not retooling. What a joke of an organization this team is. Billy and Epler will keep his job and they will continue to get Darren Ruff type players. Billy and Epler is such a bad GM that last year they had a chance to go deep into the playoffs, but he chose not to go for it. Billy and Epler is the worst GM. And I have to say he's even worse than Billy King and John Idzik. <laughs> this guy's <laughs> Steve Cohen is a fraud. He said he wants to win a championship in three to five years. Looks like that's not happening because this is year three. And he said, they're not looking to compete in 24 to 26. The prospects they got will never be good. Look at Tom Smith and Ahmed Rosario. I think this guy's pulling our chain. <laughs> I think it's. I think he's channeling Frank the Tank. Like we could be negative, but I mean, it can't go all the way with it. Can, oh, we? Can, I, can, I, can I just stop something real quick here? And now, listen. You tell me how wrong I am to think this way. But is there any possibility that Steve Cohen and Billy Epler are smarter than we think? And they said, "Listen." There's no other way. The season's done. There is no other way to maximize our mistakes with Scherzer and Verlander. They need to be off this team. So we have to convince them to take, to, to, to unblock the trade, to say, I'll get rid of my, my, um, I'll get rid of my, my, my no trade request and we'll, we'll, I'll go to any team you, you send me to. And next year, when David Stern comes in, and he says, you know what? I don't like your plan. I'm going to, I have a better plan. And all of a sudden, oh, look, they're spending money. They're yeah. spending. Is well, there any possibility? I think that if they were committed to moving Verlander and Scherzer, you got to tell them whatever it takes to get them to say yes to a trade. So I do understand that. Here's where I think the strategy could change. Because I do think we all think David Stearns is going to run this team. It is not easy to buy pitching, and the Mets have acknowledged that, and we all know that. It's not easy to buy pitching. But right now, that's the Mets' only plan for the next three years. You know, unless you think you're hitting on all the young pitching prospects that you have that we talked about are not regarded as future aces. Sure, you can hit on all of them, but it's going to take a while. You're going to have to buy pitching. Like, you're going to have to buy pitching, whether it's this offseason or next offseason. So do you look at some of the guys that are available this year, specifically Julio Urias because of his age, and then you look at the guys available the following year, and I'll tell you the guys, Shane Bieber, Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Tyler Glass now, Zach Wheeler, Max Freed. Do you say, you know what? We got to get a little bit of now and a little bit of later. Like we're going to have to buy pitching. So if we have to buy pitching eventually, Maybe we do look at Julio Urias when we rank all the guys in 24 and 25 and say, hey, that's the best long-term guy. He's the youngest. He's a lefty. He's pitched on the national stage with the Dodgers. That's my guy. That's my number one target. And David Stearns could identify him as that. And so he's young enough. It's not Verlander or Scherzer. Why would you feel like you have to wait? Like you may as well sign that guy right now. 
So that would be my hope that you're looking at the free agent class of 24 and 25 and you're looking at all the pitchers that are available and we could all do it together. Could be a homework assignment and we could rank the guys we want. And if we ranked those guys based on track record and age, and again, Otani, you got to put to the side, he's different. If I'm taking all the free agents of 25 and 24 based on agent performance, Julio Urias is probably number one. He just is. Again, not having a great year this year at a 216 ERA last year. He's pretty good. So I could see Stern saying, it makes sense to buy him now. Like, why would we wait? You know, it's going to take a seven-year contract. We think he's going to be good for the next five years. Hey, that's great. That's in our window of winning. Let's go buy him now. I think that could be something they do during the offseason. And maybe it's just wishful thinking, but they do need to add pitching. They're going to need to be aggressive in the free agent market as much as they may not love it, as risky as it may be. John Nieves writes, he's been a listener since day one. I got to read this one. He's been a listener since day one, and he's always thought about emailing, but he was really just too lazy to ever do it. And today is the day. So let's get to John Nieves. I was pretty furious when I read Max's comments to The Athletic. It's hard to put into words how I felt. I mean, why should a team with a core of talented players like Nimmo, Lindor, Alonzo, Sanget, and Alvarez not strive to compete every single year? Why are we punting two whole years? As you've mentioned before with the right reinforcements, we could have made a solid run next year. But instead, we're being told to not even bother watching. I can't help but remember all the articles I've read recently about how the Mets have added numerous analytics staff. The Wilpons were often seen as too old school and poor to invest in analytics. And now, but now we have swung too far in the other direction. Did the analytic inmates run the asylum? I'm not a grumpy old man. I don't mind analytics as a tool, but the issue with analytics is not the amount of information it provides, but rather how it turns everything into a zero sum equation. Just like the all or nothing approach to hitting, the Mets are conveying that their one and only goal is winning the World Series. Sounds great when you say it out loud, but what does that really mean? There's a difference between making a World Series your ultimate goal and making it your only goal. Is all or nothing a good thing? There's no room for 85 wins in this world. Does it bother to build around a team that's not a sure thing? Will the Mets only try when the numbers say they have an 85% chance of the playoffs or higher? Would the 2015 Mets have bothered to trade for Cespedes with this new regime? What we've always yearned for is sustained success that gives us multiple opportunities at a title. Some years might not go our way, but that doesn't mean we need to completely dismantle things after one setback. What are we truly telling our fans and players when we decide to give up on entire seasons? It's I get where he's coming from. And I appreciate, and we do appreciate the email. I think the difference in this equation is not that analytics told them to sell. I think the age told them to sell. Let's not forget that the men that they traded are old. And as much as I think Verlander still had something left, and Scherzer still could have been a valuable middle-of-the-rotation arm next year, granted overpriced, they traded old guys. David Robertson, who I think they're going to re-sign next year, I can see that. I can see them bringing him back, is older. Verlander's 40. So if this turns into trading Alonzo and trading Nimmo, I'd agree with you. But as of right now, this was maximizing your return on older guys. 
I wouldn't be concerned that the Mets strategy is, hey, we're not good enough to win a World Series. Let's just blow it up every time we can. I think it was a certain scenario that led to this. Fred Solomon writes, what does it say about Epler's tenure that his teardown moves were better than actually assembling the team? That is a tremendous email by Fred and very accurate. It, re- it is because he inherited a lot of this team. He did. So you got to look at, oh, well, what did he do? So what he did was he signed Max Scherzer, Starling Marte, Mark Canna, David Robertson. Uh, There's some decent moves in there. But these are the moves that are getting great acclaim. His, his teardown was better than the additions. It's a great point by Fred. <laughs> you can't argue that one. Nick Stasiak writes, I'm sorry, but it is unacceptable for this team to go into a potential multi-year rebuild under Steve Cohen, especially three years into his tenure. I get it that they haven't been good this year, but it feels like a drastic overreaction to four mediocre months. He's right if they break the core apart. I have not seen enough evidence to say, hey, this core is rotten, like the old David Wright, Jose Reyes days, uh, the old debate me and Francesca used to have, the core is rotten, you got to break it up, which he probably turned out to be right about. I agree. I don't think this team has shown us enough of that. They've had guys having down years, like Jeff McNeil's having a down year. But Brandon Nemo, Francisco Lindor, and Pete Alonso, I want on this team. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Like they're good baseball players. I have no evidence that they're bad guys. I don't believe that this locker room is this problem that's been preached over the last few days. As I've said, it, it sounds like an excuse to explain in at play. That's what it sounds like. Now, if someone's in the locker room and says different, okay. But what is the problem if there is something in the room? I think if they break the core apart even deeper, I would agree with Nick and say, wow, we're going crazy over four months. I think this was just changing the starting pitching plan because let's keep that in mind. Look at the lineup on Tuesday night. Nimmo was initially in until he got scratched. So let's use that lineup. Nimmo, Lindor, McNeil, Alonzo, Beatty, Alvarez, DJ Stewart, Mark Vientos, and Ortega. Other than the Canna fam departures, nothing changed. The core lineup is the same. And all we agree on is, hey, call up Mauricio. Let him be a part of it now. But Canna fam were never, oh my God. They were smart to trade those guys. This was about changing the rotation. A rotation that has been altered a lot over the last three years, even prior to Cohen's entrance into the fray. Think back to 2019. What was the Met rotation in 2019? It was Jacob deGrom and Zach Wheeler and Noah Syndergaard and Marcus Stroman. In 2020, weird year, they brought in Rick Porcello and Michael Waka. In 2022, they had Chris Bassett and they had Taiwan Walker. 
And then this year, they made all those changes again. But these changes have been going on for a while. Since the decision by the Wilpons to let Zach Wheeler go, which was a horrific one, the rotation every year looks different. And when you really think about it, that's all that's happening here. They've altered the rotation. And that's why the biggest question going into the offseason, and the biggest question I'd ask, is not should they trade Pete Alonso? That's stupid. It's how do you rebuild the rotation? Just like last year, they let DeGrom and Walker and Bassett go, and they replaced those guys with Senga, Verlander, and Quintana. Well, now Scherzer's gone, Verlander's gone, Carrasco's going to be gone. How do you replace them? Well, it's just one simple thing is next year, you got to remember, Kana's off the books, Fam's off the books, Escobar's off the books. We are paying a little bit of Scherzer and, and Verlander, so that is true. But but it's not going to be a $350 million payroll like it was this year. It's still going to be less. So there's going to be money available that you can't – I mean, I don't know. Do you think that – do you think that Cohen is still going to go and say, if it takes $350, um, I'll, I'll still match that? Or are you going to say, I need to get it, I need to get it below a luxury tax? I don't think he's going to be flirting with, I got to get below the luxury tax. I just wonder how much they're going to be willing in, willing to invest in the rotation. And that's that's the question that's going to determine the Met offseason. And that's the question that's going to determine what our expectations are for 2024. That's it. Like, how are they going to build a rotation around Senga and Quintana? How do they do that? And how much money are they willing to spend on that? So, What's been the last few days? The last few days, to me, I think the the reasonable response is it's a very big mix of emotions. There's the disappointment of this failure because it is a failure. And the New York Mets of 2023 will go down as one of the biggest failures in the history of the franchise. And I guess people will argue in the history of the sport. So the closure of that is disappointing. And it's okay to be disappointed about that. I said this story very briefly on the air. I'll bring up another sport. It's football. When the Jets traded Sam Darnold, I was sad. And Craig couldn't understand. He's like, this is great. Sam Darnold's gone. We got to pick. And I said, yeah, I know we had to trade Sam Darnold. I know we were going to trade Sam Darnold. I know the return for Sam Darnold was great. But it was disappointing that it failed. Because I really thought Sam was the answer. And the closure on that was some sadness of, ah, man, this sucks. Like, I knew it was going to happen, but this sucks. And I think over the last few days, that's the Mets. The Mets are a failure. They're not going to go to the postseason. They're not even going to be in a pennant race. And if I would have said that five months ago, you would have thought I was Frank the Tank. So that is okay to have the emotion of just sheer disappointment. Then I have the emotion of, oh, my God, I'm thinking about 2024. How are they going to build a rotation? But then I do have the emotion of, wow, they have a freaking owner that just wrote massive checks to get prospects, which is what he did, which is what he did. He built up the farm system by giving Billy Epler the weapon of paying off most of Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer's contract. And that's cool. I don't think there's any person, even if you hated what they did in terms of I would have kept both guys. I would have tried to have won this year and next year. Even if you think that, which I certainly was, that was my opinion over the last week, you still have to look at what they did and said, whoa, 
the owner just wrote massive checks to rebuild the farm system. And that's why it's a mix of emotions. We will have another podcast after this series is over and actually try to talk about the final two games of this series with Kansas City. And i make you this prediction. We will complain about Ronnie Mauricio not being up here because I have a feeling that's going to last for a while. Where's Ronnie? Where's Ronnie? Where's Ronnie? So we'll have a pod coming up after the series with the Royals ends on Thursday. And then, look, the plan is still there. Sunday night. After the Met Orioles series is complete, the first ever Drunk Rico. That is scheduled to go down. Uh, my wife already knows about it. She's got the uh, frozen alcoholic drinks ready to go. Sunday is going to be a fun day. And for the first time ever, a Drunk Rico. I'm on vacation, so don't worry. Like it, Should uh, we get some special fun. guests to pop? Should we get some special guests to pop in here and there to really add to the fun? Do they have to be drunk is the question. Oh, 100%. You have to be drunk. Otherwise, you can't join. Those are the rules for the uh, first ever drunk Rico. It's perfect timing, too. I mean, considering where this season is going, it all makes uh, perfect sense. Really quickly, because I just I just want to – I need to know this for myself. I love my, my owner. Steve Cohen is by far, like, the best thing that happened to the Mets. But do you think he understands – how massive of a failure this was and how the fan base has always felt this way. It's like, oh, here, it's, it's it's the Mets. Of course it's what happened to Mets. Does he understand that, you think? I think he does because he's a fan and he's been around and he has seen the Wilpons from not afar but relatively close. This is just going to add to the stigma that we all face, that stigma of even when things are going well, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Because the 2022 Mets now goes down in history as what? You know, how do we view? And obviously, it depends on what happens next year, the year after that. But 101 wins, a fart in the wind. When you think about what happened around it, think about what happened around it. Think about 2017, under 500, massive failure. 2018, under 500, massive failure. 2019 above 500, but they blew every game they could to miss the playoffs. 2020 short season, massive failure. 2021 first place for a big bulk of the season and then massive failure. 2022, 101 wins. 2023, massive failure. It it makes 2022 feel like it wasn't real. Did that actually happen? 101 wins? And I'll leave you with this because this was in the email that if the New York Mets, let me find it because I want to give the guy credit. He wrote this whole thing down about the history. Steve Johnson, the New York Mets are likely to finish below 500. There have been 114 MLB teams that have won over 100 games in a season. If the Mets finish below 500, they will become just the 15th to follow up a 100 wins, 100 win season with a sub 500 year. The 1918 White Sox, which I think that was the World War One team, the 1931 Cardinals, the 1971 Reds, and the 1986 St. Louis Cardinals. And he does point out that the 18 White Sox were affected by World War One. But what's interesting is that the 71 Reds and the 86 Cardinals is that they went to the World Series the following year. That is interesting. Anyhow, 
Good, good fact by Steve. Bottom line is the Mets are about to make some embarrassing history. I think that's what we're we're headed towards. Uh, you can email the pod if we didn't get to your emails. I apologize. There were obviously a ton. The Rico B at gmail.com. The Rico B at gmail.com. I'll be on the air for a few more days, Evan and Tiki on Wednesday and Thursday, and then I'm off for a while. I'm not off from the Rico, though. That's my loyalty to you guys. I'm taking vacation from the radio station, but when I go on vacation, I'm bringing my laptop and a microphone so that we never miss a Rico. So we appreciate you listening through these troubled times, but we will get you through these troubled times as best as we can. Thanks for listening and downloading Rico Blue. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.